Hey everyone, this is Abby Martin. You're listening to the audio version of this episode, which you can watch at youtube.com slash empirefiles. Peter Joseph. Hey, Abby. Thank you so much for coming on the Empire Files, Peter. It's been quite a while since I've had you on. I appreciate you coming back on. It has been a while. I know, time just keeps flying by. The uh, nightmare of existence. <laughs> flowing, flowing away. <laughs> great to have, great, thank you for having me. It's great to be here and good to see you again. It's great to see you, Peter. Um, given everything that's going on in the world today, I really wanted to get your insight. And I think a lot of people who follow you will also would also love to hear what you have to say because you've been posting so much about the genocide going on in Gaza. And I just, you know, we've been talking about it off air a lot. Obviously, I, you know, I look up to you so much, Peter, and I just really wanted you to expand on what you've been saying on social media. And I think we can glean a lot from what you have to say. Yeah, in my interest to sort of get away from the social media ecosystem, this had to happen and bring me back so I can rant away. Uh, I've posted quite a bit about this because it's such a unique event and people seem to just nonchalantly think this is just another little war and this plague of wars of, of human civilization. But this is very specifically uh, a, a long-standing problem and a particular nuance of a conflict that is just so outrageous. It's it's so offensive and it's so shocking to me that so many people out there are just floating along in their lives with this sort of attitude that this is a just another war, which it isn't, or that this is just the way it is, of course, or that, of course, the ultimate propaganda that Israel and Palestine is this complicated, strange, we can't understand it, they just refuse to get along nonsense that's been going on for so long. And once that occurred on, once, excuse me, once the uh, event happened on, on October 7th, uh, immediately, obviously, in the horror of, of what happened to these poor uh, Jewish civilians, it's that's an atrocity in and of itself, a terrible thing. But what went in my mind was like, this is it. This is exactly what Netanyahu said afterwards. This is the 9-11, so to speak, and the ultimate exploitation of the fear and the, you know, the geopolitical kind of rousing that gets other nations to support you blindly and so on. So I have been posting a great deal about it and in the hope, like you, to see some kind of resolution to this because it's, it's just heartbreaking, man. I, it, I just, anyone who has basic humanity has to be shocked to the core at this point. Absolutely. I've never seen anything... Like this, and Peter, like you, I have tried my best to stay away from social media. I was largely absent for the last year or so, just focusing on the film that we're making. And I just, you know, you can't just sit back. Uh, you have to, you know, it's not enough to just bear witness to this. You have to do whatever you can to stop this because it is so unimaginably horrifying. And, and especially since our government is sponsoring this and, you know, supplying all the ammunition. And weaponry for it. I want to quickly um, address that notion, though, that this is not a war, because that is the talking point that's shared everywhere, that this is a war between Israel and Hamas. Um, and like you, when October 7th happened, I remember we were having our, our goodbye event in LA, and I heard during the event, because it was October 6th, it bled over into the morning of October 7th, and someone told me, you know, Hamas just invaded Israel. And my first thought was, so many people are going to die. Yeah. So many people are going to die. Yeah. Uh, you have to have the context proper, and that's what the, most of the public, especially in Western society, doesn't understand. They don't realize the longstanding history. They don't realize the buildup 
of the nonsense narrative of effectively a bunch of anti-Semites in Palestine that refuse to, to recognize Israel have always apparently hated all Jews historically. And since there's been no negotiation, oh, the Palestinians refuse to negotiate. Oh, uh, they won't recognize uh, the state of Israel. They, they misinterpret. You have all those speeches, like the guy from the leader of Iran formerly that made that comment at the UN, which instantly was grabbed on as if he was saying Israel should be wiped off the map when his context was completely different. It's, it's been snowballing. Of this, and this is what it's led to, you know, 75 years later. Uh, and it's, we see what's going to happen. They're just going to run everybody out. It is a genocide slash ethnic cleansing by definition. And the fact, once again, as you point out, that a very small percentage really of society, particularly in the West, is willing to object to this. Uh, just again, it breaks your heart. You're like, how? <laughs> anyway, we don't need to go down the emotional road too much with this, but that that uh, gets, speaks to the core of what humanity even means, right? What does it mean to be human? It means to have empathy and sympathy and relate and want to see yourself and others. And the fact that you have this bigotry, this groupism, the fact that you have all you know the stacks of things that create separatism in our world, all perfectly aligned in the perfect storm, really, in Israel in this conflict literally based on propaganda, ultimately, with the core feedback loop, and I'll finish this point, what Israel has done, and it's advertent, as, as you read in the old Zionist literature of the founders and all of these horrible personalities that have, you know, literally just disregarded the Palestinians from the beginning, not necessarily the majority, but you see it in literature. They wanted to create a situation where there's going to be constant backlash of this poor, oppressed minority and it gives them the excuse and that feedback loop to continue the pattern of annihilation. Continue to destroy. Oh, someone threw a rock at a tank. Let's go blow up this building. And it just cycled and cycled. And this is where we are now with completely dead. I mean, Gaza's over. Like, there's no yeah. way you can recover. There's no, you can't rebuild that at this point. And frankly, you know, from a, you know, a shift to this, which is, you know, a regular contrary to what you'd like to believe, or anyone would like to believe, I should say. Uh, there's going to have to be mass relocation, and that should be probably, aside from the complete exiling of Israel, the complete, you know, it should be North Korea is the way Israel should be treated right now, not this welcoming as if, the, you know, this is some representative of uh, civilization fighting barbarians as the propaganda continues. They should be isolated, they should be sanctioned, pushed into a corner, while all of Gazans should be supported by the international community and moved out of there and found refuge with enormous funding, enormous support. But of course, we see just a little trickle of that. We see gestures of that. Uh, but well, it's I do sick. Think it's that, sick that this is just yeah. now um, tacitly like understood like, oh, well, this this is the mass expulsion is just inevitable. And now what are we going to do with them? I mean, the world has just sat back and watched for three months the complete obliteration of yeah. this strip of land. And it's absolutely heinous. Um, and to your point, I mean, the fact that even the UN, I mean, rendering all of these international bodies completely obsolete and really exposing them for the farces that they are. The ICC Absolutely. with the Hague Invasion Act that the U.S. gives itself the right to invade the Netherlands if any American personnel are tried with war crimes. And then you look at an institution like the U.N., which is completely impotent. All they can do is issue sternly worded letters. I mean, look at, look at the UN head uh, who just issued a statement yesterday saying, yeah, we've never had this much killing of our UN family in the history of our organization. It's like, yeah, I have a novel idea. Expel the member state that's mass murdering your employees. Yeah. What yeah. is wrong with I you mean, people? 
Absolutely. And then, of course, going to the, the International Criminal Court of Justice, which South Africa put forward, you know, the, the proposal that they're committing genocide, we can pretty much expect that to be a gesture as well. All the people and the, all the judges, so to speak, of the 15 group unity, they all have too many, too many, too many things of their own to worry about in terms of how they could be prosecuted for similar things. So I strongly suspect that's not going to move very far. And the truth is, there can be massive sanctions. Let's remember, Israel was founded in the mid of all of Mer- the height of American colonialism. America is ravaging Latin America, taking over Chile, Guatemala just before that. It, the list and list goes on and on, not just Latin America, but the Middle East and all sorts of places of Africa. Colonialism at its best in the high-tech world of the Industrial Revolution. So Israel pops along, and who was the first to recognize Israel's state? The United States, because the U.S. wants to see Israel as the 51st state, use its geopolitical position for the interests of the United States. U.S. interests, national security, you know, all that coded language that we see. Which means that all of those sanctions, all those processes that the West uses against other countries, particularly the U.S., it's the empire, and that's, of course, the caveat here, but... It can be done. You can go after these people. You can shut down this process. The international community does have things they can do. And as you just alluded to, you have to stop U.S. support. And you, you, it's a travesty that in the United States, people can't see through this once again, because the fact that any government official in Congress, the fact that any of these people witnessing this with any sense of humanity can't finally stop, at least Bernie Sanders stepped up finally and said, we can't authorize more weapons and military supplies for Israel. It's obvious what they're doing. But he's the minority. So going back to your point, it's a helpless scenario, and it's a, it's a travesty on all levels. Yeah, and Bernie Sanders, unfortunately, still has not called for a ceasefire, which seems like the bare minimum that anyone with a heart should do, Peter. I want as well, yeah. I mean, it's just... It- it's appalling, at least, honestly. But at least somebody said something about all this funding. Yes. Because Israel, Israel obviously wouldn't be able to do what it's doing no. without this long-term support. So it's, it's a U.S.-funded genocide. It's a U.S. project. Yeah, I mean, it, it essentially is, is an absolutely. extension of U.S. empire, and that's why they use their propaganda to placate us. Peter, I want to deconstruct this propaganda, um, and I want to do it through the lens of Bill Maher. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because... I think Bill Maher, this isn't about Bill Maher. Bill Maher is a bigot. We know that he's, you know, we we know that he kind of represents the face of liberal Zionism. I mean, people like Bill Maher and Noah Tishby and all these people, they they are positioned to put out there to speak to progressives, so-called, you know, people who who call themselves progressives and and you know, let's just assume well-intentioned liberals who are confused about the situation or perhaps not, they just justify that position of Zionism through the lens of what Bill Maher's rant is that we're going to go over right now. And I want to deconstruct this rant. I got a chance to watch it. Um, to give some context on the timing, this rant, this racist tirade was three weeks ago. This was not on October 8th, right? It, it seems like it's on October 8th on Real Time with Bill Maher because it is so focused on the need to do what Israel is doing without mentioning essentially anything at all about what's happening to Palestinians in the wake of this genocidal onslaught. So it happened three weeks ago, Peter, this rant, um, already as the death toll was approaching 20,000, right? Almost the entire population internally displaced, the vast majority certainly, with thousands more trapped under the rubble. And that point alone is so disturbing because if thousands of like children were trapped under the rubble of like a collapse, like infrastructurally in the wake of an earthquake somewhere in the world, can you imagine like 
<laughs> I mean, an international yeah. mobilization of countries yeah. to go rescue children who are trapped, but yeah, yeah. not so much in yeah. Gaza. Um, not to interrupt you with that, but you're absolutely right. We, we see a bunch of people in a tanker looking to see the Titanic and the thing implodes and everyone's, the whole world focuses on it. Apparently just a few, you know, rich white people you look for and you care about, but no, not tens of thousands. And obviously the death toll is obviously higher than 30,000 at this point because the people in the rubble are clearly dead. So it, they're not coming back as we know. But anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. And they have no, they have no means to like excavate. I mean, because they can't yeah. allow the material. And so they're literally like digging through the rubble with their bare hands to try to find their family members who have been murdered. It is very horrific. Um, so during this, this tirade that Bill Maher gives called, if people want to watch it themselves, um, it's called from the river to the sea. Uh, and, and it was, I think it was December 15th, if I'm not mistaken. The only thing he says during the rant, Peter, is what's happening in Palestine is horrible. Oh, well, thank you so much for that, Bill. Um, but again, like this isn't about him. This is this is the face of liberal Zionism. And that's why it's so important to deconstruct this propaganda and to go through the points that Bill Maher gives to justify what is happening. So let's do that because millions of Americans watching HBO and who like Bill Maher, they're not going to fact check him, Peter. No, 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 you're right. Well, what, what would you like to touch so on? So let's, let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. The first bit of his rant essentially just argues that, you know, colonialism's ugly, Peter, but that's just the way it is. You know, he first says, you know, things just change over time. Empires rise and fall. Peter, you know, Bethlehem was once ran by Christians and now it's run by Muslims. You know, I mean, Palestine was under the control of the Ottoman Empire before that changed. And then he goes on to bizarrely insinuate that like mass expulsions are okay because they've happened in the past. He talks about how a million French people were expelled from Algeria in 1962, a million Ghanaians out of Nigeria in 1983. So presumably the mass expulsion of 2.3 million Palestinians out of Gaza is totally okay, right? So talk about this mentality that colonialism is just the way it is and so we should just accept it. Well, first, just a small note on what you said about his one or two comments sympathetic to the Palestinians. That's the the ultimate and the most offensive form of doublespeak, where you qualify in passing something that you're choosing to ignore, as as which is basically a political attitude. Uh, let's just comment on that. Then we'll move back to my agenda, which I find to be despicable as an approach. Uh, yeah. So the the notion that all the crimes of history that continue to repeat. Well, if they're if they've been there and they're still happening, I guess they're going to continue happening. So I guess we should accept it, and I guess we could apply that to just about anything. And the crudest of all analogies: oh, women women used to be raped by men all the time. I guess women should just accept being raped now. Same thing you could say about patriarchy too. Oh, that's just the way it's been. Why don't you just accept the fate of this pattern? When obviously we need to get to the root of why colonization, why this tribalistic group violence continues on this planet, which we can talk about a little bit later. And that's really what a proper discussion would be, not you know, normalizing, obviously, the death of tens of thousands of people. I mean, someone could turn around and say the same thing about the Holocaust if they really wanted to be cynical about, oh, there have been criminal, there, there have been people killed in war all the time. Oh, it's just the way, it anyway, you get the point. Well, yeah, it shows how well. weak your moral positioning is. If, if all Absolutely. you can do is point back a thousand years and be like, well, look at how horrific the Muslim army was. It's like, yeah. what? Yeah. 
Yeah, let's go back to 2000. It's just outrageous. And clearly, uh, it's it's deflecting the true issue. And But that fits his agenda, because in his bizarre loyalty to Israel, which has been a longstanding thing, he's been one of the greatest mouthpieces and propagandists in support of the violence of Israel for many, many years, as you know. So yeah, the idea, he goes on these generalized lists. That's another thing about you know fraudulent communication is you make big generalized statements and no one will re- review them. They, so he gives that list of many, many years, uh, particularly with the Jews being exiled or kicked out, as he said, or thrown out, I think the word was to be accurate, of all these Muslim Arab countries. And I looked at those lists and I look, you go back and you do the history of this. And it's far more complicated than that. Many people left of, of their own volition. And some of them, you know, they suffered numerous kinds of colonial factors that go back through time that created all sorts of complex, complex relationships that no one wants to talk about because they're just that complex and they don't fit the easy narrative. So he makes that justification that, oh, you know what? And he's building, of course, to this. You know what? We've been our, the Jewish people have been suffering so substantially. This is just natural. This is the payback. He makes the comment to the TikTok kids, right? He's like, "Oh, ethnic cleansing happens on both sides," in his terrible attempt to be pop culture oriented, as if it's justified, as if an eye for an eye is really the way things need to be, particularly in the absurdity of long-term civilization, which is so much more complicated than that. Which, of course, speaks and panders to an ongoing propagandized narrative that. Somehow, Jewish ancestry has a claim to this land, which is, of course, in complete contradiction. You notice that even if you focus on the other statements that he makes, he'll, he'll actually admit that. The ancestral homeland, he'll use those words in complete contradiction. In fact, I think in that very recording, he does. And then he instantly turns the page and turns the other cheek and says, oh, but this is just the way it is. So he's, op- he's in pure contradiction of his own belief structure, in fact, which again is just pandering to the narratives that have been existing. Uh, and then what does he do after normalizing colonization? He goes through those lists, and then he reaches the ultimate point. And I'm, I apologize if I'm jumping ahead, but this is the truth of the propaganda, as I've already alluded to, that pal- the Palestinians and the Palestinian authorities historically will never, ever recognize or allow Israel to exist. There's no negotiation. Therefore, the war is inevitable. Coupled, of course, and it's always piggybacked in this context, with the idea of rampant anti-Semitism plaguing everything. Yeah, let me jump in there because I I have something to say before you go off on this. And and I think this whole argument, this whole argumentation is the Jordan Peterson argument of status (laughs) quoism. Right. This is the way things have always been. Hierarchies have always existed. Inequality has always existed. It's a bizarre argument. I mean, I guess it's not if you're on top, (laughs) you're making millions of dollars peddling this, but it is just such a strange, right? It's like, oh, this is just the way it is where billions of people are living in abject poverty. So, eh. That's the heart of conservative thinking. That, that, That is what the word conservative means. We can throw that word around in its populist uh, diffusion or uh, pluralism underscoring it, but to be a conservative by definition is to not want things to change and to accept the patterns that pre-existed. And always, who does that benefit? It benefit it benefits an elite elite minority because they're the ones that are always going to be on top at some point, especially in the hierarchical structure that's been generated uh, as civilization has evolved, particularly since the Neolithic Revolution. But that's for another conversation. So yeah. Conservative thinking is elitist thinking. I, I think people should think more about that. There wouldn't be an end of slavery if conservative thinking dominated, right? I mean, it's the same kind of arguments they could use for any kind of rightful evolution out of some social atrocity. These 
So it, I yeah. can go on a long tangent about no, that. No, it's, it's totally true. So let's yeah. get to the heart of Bill Maher's whole argument and essentially the heart of the argument that accepts this sort of horrific genocide um, from liberals, at least. I think conservatives are a little bit more open about, you know, hating <laughs> Arabs and not caring about people. Sure. But, um, but people like Bill Maher want to pretend that Palestinians are the intolerant ones, that they're the ones who have always rejected the notion of a state. They've rejected every offer at the table over the decades-long peace process attempts, um, especially when you're looking at the Oslo Accords. Um, they always wanted the, quote, river to the sea. They were offered their own state, and they said no. Interestingly enough, he uses the example of Ireland as this divided country who was blowing each other up. And then he's like, look, wars, again, using that notion of this is a war, and in war, you have to negotiate peace. And he was like, every country that's in war always ends up negotiating peace, except for Palestine. Yeah. So again, Bill Maher's audience is not going to assume that he is lying about the Oslo Accords. And ever since that, Peter, I mean, let's be honest, for the last several decades, Israeli leadership has always laughed off the notion of a Palestinian state. They've never taken it seriously since then. And... They've always pledged to openly annex the West Bank. You can see comment after comment from Israeli leadership declaring this as such, especially when you look at something like the Palestine Papers, which reveal the secret negotiations between Palestinian Authority and Israeli leadership um, over the last 20 years. And it, it reveals just that. I mean, they offered a fully demilitarized state. They offered to give them Jerusalem. Israel said no. Yeah. Long list of examples of all of that, the Camp David summit in 2000, which Bill Maher quotes by saying, which I've heard all over the internet, in fact, that, oh, you know, Palestine was offered to make Jerusalem the capital. Oh, Palestine was offered 95% of the West Bank. And again, the year 2000, of course, the West Bank was stolen. You know, it's like me stealing my neighbor's lawnmower and then the guy feeling, you know, thankful that I gave it back to him. And then if, all of that stuff has been is is just this nonsensical, superficial thing that ignores all of the conditions that lacked favorability to to Palestinian um, integrity and uh, self determination because that's what Israel doesn't want and that's what a Zionist colonial power <laughs> naturally doesn't want. That's what the extension of the U.S. empire has been doing for so long now. Independence is a bad thing. It's a little bit different in the Israeli context because they clearly have an agenda, at least in the bowels of the the severity of these people that run the show there, that they want to continue taking over everything, which is, again, at the root of it. So this propaganda persists. It's out there. We can think of other examples. The 1976 um, United Nations resolution where it was very much identified. In fact, I have a language right here where it says in the document it says, we agree with appropriate arrangements to guarantee the sovereignty, territorial integrity, and political dependence of all states in the area, which recognized Israel. So the contradiction is immense. And of course, in that resolution, what happened? Israel rejected it, and the United States vetoed it. And this was widely accepted, even in the Arab world, that it could have been over right then, in truth, if they actually cared to end it, but they didn't. And that speaks to the, uh, the the terrible agenda underneath the surface. And going back to the United States, I don't. I want to say this as an aside. I wonder when you look at this sort of the the foreign policy which got started with you know Kissinger and Nixon fundamentally in terms of the modern era, what they saw and what was set forward, especially fortified by the international 
finance institutions and the way everyone recognizes neoliberalism as akin to democracy and freedom. I wonder, even though all of this is spread, if they really anticipated what's actually happening in terms of what the severe extremists of the Netanyahu government and before, but particularly now, because it's a, you know it hasn't been that quite that bad before. Now they're going for broke. I wonder if uh, the U.S. Uh, you know inner circles of the uh, the White House really. Uh, expected this to happen. I'm not giving them a pass, but I think the animal that's been created with Israel is moving past what the U.S. actually sees serves its benefit at this point. But again, that's probably for another conversation. Oh, no, 100%. I mean, it's like a runaway train because exactly. we've, we've emboldened them to such a ridiculous degree. And then it, by extension, the lobby as well that's going around and now right. lobbying state legislatures to pa preemptively pass and stimmy, you know, BDS resolutions. It, it's cartoonish. And I... I mean, the U.S. would never do this. I mean, it would take several days to uh, document the war crimes that the U.S. has committed, but they are not brazen as Israel is. They, they would never go around and systematically assassinate 105 journalists as well as execute their families. I mean, it, this is a special thing that's taking place, and I think it shows you where complete impunity leads when you have an appendage of the U.S. empire given carte blanche. Um, to do whatever it needs to do. And I mean, the rest of the world is frankly scared. And I think that's why you saw a lot of countries that have made declarative statements about Israel committing genocide, not wanting to put themselves out there to actually file the legal briefings to support South Africa in this case. Yeah. So I think, again, as you just commented, the runaway train is ever apparent, and it's fortified by so many different things as well. You have the, the military-industrial complex. I think you can't remove the profit-seeking coming from U.S. corporations, military corporations from this equation, because their lobbyists are very much tied in with the Israeli lobbyists. You have the you have the general interest, as Joe Biden said, when he said that, you know, if we didn't have Israel, we'd have to create it, which I think uh, if people don't aren't aware that Joe Biden has said this numerous times, it speaks to the absolute truth. One of those, you know, things he probably said inadvertently that he just doubles down, doubles down on now, that, if, that in this 51st state attitude that we have to have our stake in the Middle East for the resources and our general influence and dominance. You know, these things have, have been around for so long and they've conditioned so many countries to take a position where either they don't think it's their concern or they think, once again, going back to that outrageous but yet, yet common notion that is actually going back to the Philippines, going back to the Native American genocide, we're dealing with barbarians. And dark-skinned people have, unfortunately, in the racist context of all of this and the whatever you want to call it, I, I, racism isn't even a real thing, but we have to use that term since we haven't grown out of it because there's only one race, the human race. All of that has bled into this bizarre neuroses that we see right now as we touched upon earlier. And I don't, I don't know what the solution is other than the, the great work that you're doing and others. How do we shut this kind of thing down? I mean, we can talk a little bit about the socioeconomic system itself in a little while and the grounds for this. I'm a big fan of people like Thorsten Veblen, who wrote an excellent book on the subject. Believe it or not, to your audience, I actually gave a lecture in Tel Aviv on the nature of war and peace in 2012 to a sold-out audience. Uh, I don't know if they'd let me back there now, but... <laughs> um, I touched upon a lot of this, but anyway, let's let's continue the conversation. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, hedge your bets on that ticket going through. If you wanted to fly back to Tel Aviv, you might want to yeah, go through Jordan and yeah. 
you're probably on a list, Peter. You're, they're not yeah, going to let you in. So. If they won't let a sitting congresswoman in, they're not going to let you in. Or UN officials. And, yeah, exactly. Um, let's go back to, to what Bill Maher said about how Palestine refused to negotiate. Because it's not just that he claims that Palestine is who has rejected the notion of a Palestinian state and rejected every offer at the table. He, he goes further than that. And I think that this is, this is the most insidious and kind of baffling propaganda out there that this kind of violence is necessary because of the hypothetical, that they want to do it to us. Um, their bargaining position is non-negotiable, Peter, because they are the ones who want to expel, and that's charitable, he says. He really is insinuating that they just want to kill all Jews. So what can you do? I mean, we have to commit genocide because Hamas won't be satisfied until every Jew is gone. Which, when I look at something like this, it's it's a fascinating kind of breakdown on the psyche of and just the nature of this propaganda and how how much of it's based on projection and deflection. And this is just a classic case of that. I mean, this is what Israel wants for the Palestinians, right? I mean, <laughs> and then he also uses that that phrase. I think hilariously so. He uses that phrase, which has historically just been kind of an activist chant from the river to the sea, oh, yeah. which for some reason retroactively we're being told has always been a call for genocide. Um, it's, it's hilarious that Bill Maher is actually using that phrase as evidence to present yeah, his case, Peter. Yeah. Well, again, it speaks to the disingenuous sort of vagueness where he's taking all of these vague things that have lots of nuance and throwing them all together to give a very superficial argument in support of his bias which again, as you point out, is the broad Western bias that we see. So what you just brought up at a moment ago um, in terms of the projection, as you said, it's going back to that feedback loop that's been fostered for generations now, that the cycle of oppression against Palestinians, they fight back, oh, they hate us, they hate the Jews, they hate the state, cycle of oppression, let's shoot and sniper more people, let's invade, let's steal a little bit more land, let's encroach a little bit more, oh, they fight back, oh, they hate us with anti-Semitism, that's what's been fostered, and that's exactly what Vilmar put forward, and he brought it to the peak rationalization. If they want to kill us, we're going to kill them. And that is unfortunately exactly what Netanyahu talks about and all of his Zionist buddies. It's a perfect excuse, and it's used all over the place. It's uh, So there's there's that, and that the fact that, once again, uh, anyway, I, I could tangent on that for a long time, but going back to that comment from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, goes back decades. It's, it is a uh, chant for the freedom of Palestine, not a chant for the removal of all of Israel. If you have extremists using it, you have to look at the account of that. It has been, you know, reference to Hamas. That's the other thing about the Hamas, the public display of Hamas commentary I've never seen something more muddled and misinterpreted deliberately by the media. I'm not a fan of Hamas, obviously. It has all the attributes of religious extremism, but then again, so does the constituency of Israel. And yet, you can't really see the truth of what they're actually saying when these things are put forward. It's not a defense. It's a it's an observation of the fact that we have to really dig deep. I had people send me when this invasion have all this stuff apparently from Hamas. Oh, Hamas wants to on the remember that day of protest they had right after. Uh, Right after October 7th and the invasion of Palestine, it was a day called for people to stand up and fight for the rights of Palestine. It was interpreted as a day on the media, a day we're going to go around and kill all Jews. Do you remember this? Because mm -hmm. it was outrageous. No one said that. No one said that. And yet the Western media carried this narrative as if this is what Hamas was calling for and its, you know, and its parallel entities uh, in other Arab states 
because uh, it's, again, automatically assumed. So anyone can go back to that history, look at that phrase, look how it's used. And if you might remember the Bill Maher thing, it then describes the protests in colleges, which I find it particularly obnoxious in the general scheme, like you have Harvard people taking out donations and all because they think somehow this protest in favor of Palestine, wanting to see the death stop, somehow it's anti-Semitic. Somehow it's anti-Semitism on campus, right? That's another just bizarre, uh, powerful influence that continues to pervade our media, this exaggeration of the threat of anti-Semitism in the Western world particularly. If you really dig down into this, there are numerous groups suffering all the time. Just look at poor black society in America today and what's happening right now through systemic racism. You can't sit there and equivocate and say somehow anti-Semitism is worse than everything else that's happening. We have to take them all on their own general weight. And the manipulation of the idea of anti-Semitism is something that no one wants to talk about as well. You know, when you see these studies of the, you know, these anti-defamation defamation leagues, look closely at these maps they create and the lists they create. Very often, people that are opposed to, to the occupation and embargo and encroachment of Palestine that don't have an anti-Semitic bone in their body those instances of protest are being labeled as expressions of anti-Semitism. So that's another level of this in this cloud of noise that continues uh, this outrageous idea that the world is against the Jews. And as an aside, I'll say this, I've, I have good friends that very forward thinking, very progressive minded, and yet they still have this idea because of their own heritage that the Israeli people need their own state, Forever and ever, the Jews, I should say, need their own state because the Jews are the most oppressed culture on the face of the earth and always have been. And where does that come from? Where does that illusion come from? It's partially true. It comes from the Old Testament. And that gets us to the religious point of this. No other culture in history has been codified in a fictional book that a bunch of people believe it and then brought forward into a political context centuries later. It's it's outrageous. And that's another level of this that I think uh, is a, a rude awakening to people. I remember, I can't remember the, um, not that long ago, there was a, uh, a representative of Israel and they said their right to the Israeli state. He held up the Old Testament. Do you remember that scene? And he said, this is our ticket to our claim of the land. The fact that that even exists at all in the, in the 21st century, people are thinking along those lines. Again, it's the word Zionism right there, but it just blows my mind. I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll stop ranting. I mean, there's so much to say. I mean, just there is. The, there's so many levels of it. I mean, there's so many levels of it. It's like the Holocaust industry, the fact that there's Holocaust museums in every city. When, where are the native genocide museums? Where is that acknowledgement? It's the hyperbolic, um, disproportionate nature of, of projection of anti-Semitism with organizations like the Anti-Defamation League, which before October 7th, even the ADL was saying from the river to the sea was just an activist chant. They went back and changed their language in their own website to say that it was a call for genocide, amazingly so. Yeah. The, the the graphs that you're talking about, I mean, when you look at, oh, anti-Semitism, all these anti-Semitic attacks have risen a thousand percent. It seems so crazy and it's parroted unquestioningly by corporate media. And you look at the breakdown, it includes pro-Palestine rallies. It includes exactly. graffiti on a bus stop saying free yeah. Palestine. Right, right. It's the notion of white victimization. It's like this fantasy um, of wanting to be victimized. It's very strange because it's like, this is all just hypothetical. I mean, I see people all the time being like, check in with your Jewish allies and like, make sure that they're okay. And it's like, yeah, while you're at that, check in with your Palestinian friends and make sure that their family's alive. 
Um, that's right. the reality that we're talking about here. So if I see another goddamn think piece coming out of the paper of record about anti-Semitism at Harvard while ignoring open yeah. calls for genocide from Israeli ministers and war crimes being documented daily on TikTok from depraved soldiers, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. I feel you. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that, that kind of elitism that, that um, it's, again, it speaks to a colonial mindset. It's a sense of, uh, it's a double standard. It's a sense of deserving. And it is rooted in, in a kind of Western white uh, hegemonic culture that goes back a long way. Uh, I, I'll say this just from a moral standpoint, since you touched upon it, you know, you, you have a person born in Florida and they have a genetic lineage. They refer to themselves as Jewish. And suddenly somebody in Israel suffers something. They've never been to Israel. They never met this person. And suddenly they feel outrage, right? They feel outrage because in their tribe, in their group, they see themselves in that person. What a dangerous thing to have because you're obviously creating elitism. You're creating separatism from other people. Why we can't look at the hostages of Israel as just as much a travesty and, of course, the death on the deaths on October 7th and the deaths and the horrible suffering of the Palestinians in the same light speaks to the great grand neuroses of group identity. And I, I mean, particularly in the case of Israel, I find it fascinating because they they play that game. You have that birthright thing, right? So there's the initial propaganda. If you're if you're of Jewish descent, you can get a free ticket to Israel and see all the glory of what the great Israel uh, has done. Uh, and then it, it once again feeds into that group neuroses. I find that to be deeply troubling. It's something I talk about a lot, and I get a lot of lukewarm responses to that because everyone is so generally group oriented. They don't even think about it. They just extend themselves into their group categories and they find solace in that because it's a form of protection. It's actually very dangerous. In fact, there's a rabbi, um, he's been doing some interviews and he described a very important point, uh, you know, a Hasid rabbi, you know, and he living in Israel. And he said, there's no more dangerous place on the face of the earth than Israel. It is, if you're talking about protecting Jewish people, well, you've created the exact opposite. And, it, and he goes on to say that, you know, the, the Nakba that started in, the 19, in 1948 has just continued and does a great treatment on this. And uh, I, I, it, it speaks to the, the lunacy of the perspective and on a couple different levels, not just the Israeli state and the idea that you can have separatism. You know, Martin Luther King, one of his great things in contrast to what happened with the black separatists and the more extreme fraction, factions of the Black Panthers or the, the organizations around Malcolm X, as he said, listen, we need to group together to fight for our freedom, but beyond that, we need inclusion. It doesn't serve any function to go out and try to separate yourself and pretend that you and your group, your, your condemned group, which comes from an external force, right? Like the only reason we call someone black is because an external force decided they were different. And that's why the legal decree of racism in America is what it was, you know, after the Civil War. These are legal notions that have been fabricated in terms of separatism. And King went on to describe, you know, this is about inclusion, is it not? And I think that's something people should think about. It's a little bit more tricky in the in the Jewish identity and, of course, all religious identity. All of these ideas of like, you, I'm this, so I have to protect this, so how dare you dress like me? It's just insanity. And it's an immaturity of where we are in civilization as we try to realize that higher consciousness that it's, you know, the singular mitochondrial Eve-sourced human family. And I don't say that to be poetic. This is the science of it. And I think the moment, it's just like anything. If you recognize the science of it, the morality becomes clear. I really believe that in the philosophy of science. Once you realize the way things are in the natural physical world, uh, then you start to draw moral philosophy from that. So I'll plant that seed as well. Well, that's a very good kind of instructive way to look at this because 
it, it it lays bare just how absurd what Israel is doing because it really is just all based on on fantasy, like it you is. mentioned. I mean, it's a complete bastardization of even Judaism. I mean, to to create to basically make Judaism into a fascist ideology, which I'm sure that there are plenty of fascist things in all of these religious texts, but to actually like hone in on that. Um, you know, you look at people like Sam Harris or people like Bill Maher, of course, they're notorious Islamophobes and they like to pretend that Islam is some aberration and some unique death cold. I mean, I even saw Sam Harris in the context of this quote unquote conflict saying recently after October 7th, say that like Palestinians care more about Islam than they do their dead children. Just really heinous kind of rhetoric here. But but to your point, it is really crazy when you look at what Israel has done, because that gives them that shield of you're an anti-Semite if you criticize us, because we are the Jewish state. They've, they've, you know, plastered the Star of David on all of their insignia. And so it's super fascinating that they're justifying these horrific colonial crimes as if they have a biblical right to do so. And yeah. then on top of that, if it you know, if that isn't bad enough, then you have the Christian evangelical angle where you have millions of Christian evangelicals in this country that are unabashed Zionists because that's a stepping stone to their religious prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I I like to believe the uh the evangelical angle is is more of a it's sort of like the QAnon of the the Christian sect here. It's just so outrageous in the way they interpret. Well, Revelation is what it is, but this, just the fact that this 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 horror movie fantasy uh, has been taken to heart by so many people, and of course, Israel has to dominate Palestine, and then the end of the world and the Messiah comes back. Um, but just what what century are we in again? I, I just it baffles me in the science fiction of it all. And but I, to roll that back slightly because we we touched upon this as well. You know, religion has its fund foundational, without a doubt, uh, flaws. It's the foundation of so many things in terms of of disturbing human affairs uh, and pursuit of truth and obviously peaceful coexistence in general. But it, it, as we've seen, the the manner over the course of thousands of years has shown pockets during settled economic times where different religions, different groups got along okay. It wasn't a utopia because they're fundamentally different ideologies. See, I'm not, I disagree with the Islam, excuse me, the uh, the severe, you know, hardcore atheist stuff that go too far and they, they just say, they think that the whole thing should be gone. We can't just remove the belief systems of people. There's a great deal of richness to it. There's culture which spreads across all sorts of fields music, you know, philosophy. You can look at it from multiple different angles, and it's here to stay for now. You're not going to change people's identity that quickly, even though we hope over time. But speaking to your propaganda that these are incompatible religions, that's not true. There are plenty of instances, as I said, that people have gotten along. In early Palestine, before the state of Israel, there, was, there wasn't a utopia, but there were people getting along. You can see footage of it, photos of it. There are numerous books that have been written about it, and people discussing. There was a camaraderie. People looked after each other. They had different kinds of common enemies. Uh, Islam and Judaism were not this antagonistic thing in the general normal reality. But what did Israel do? its existence, its very decision to go there and to take that land and to throw hundreds of thousands and ultimately millions of people off to create the antagonism has done nothing but foster increased antagonism, not only in that region, but also across the world. Israel has become a beacon of a kind of regressive group hatred. 
and it bleeds into other other areas of our lives sociologically, reinforcing this terrible competitive uh, territorial dynamic that plagues us within effectively a social order globally run by capitalism, which is the most groupistic and the most um, the most uh, the most elite-oriented system structure because of its basis in hierarchy uh, you could come up with. So the precondition for all this is there. But back to my point, which I apologize for the tangent, if it wasn't for economic stress, if it wasn't for general stressors that are not related to group identity, we wouldn't see as much inflammation of the religious hatred. My point being is I, I like to find a way we can make peace kind of now and not worry about some long extended thing. And if you want to alleviate these tensions between groups, you have to start relieving economic stress. And in fact, in my book, The New Human Rights Movement, I have a section dedicated to that. So economic stress in many ways, which is what land and territorialism is all about, is at the root of much of this. You know, it reminds me of just that need. It's like the obligatory condemnation of Hamas when you talk about this, or it's the obligatory declaration that you're not anti-Semitic, but we have the right to criticize Israel. I mean, it's why is it our fault that Israel has chosen to represent Judaism? I mean, I want to talk about just that mentality, that groupthink, and where it can lead, which is what we're seeing today. I mean, it's so fascinating and disturbing because, you know, you're a scholar of history. I've studied quite a bit of uh, of what this country has done. And I can only imagine, I mean, it, it's always just been in history books and plain text where you can just think like, who are the faces of, of the Nazis? How could anyone do that? I mean, how did we have chattel slavery? How yeah. did we treat humans like animals that were raped and murdered at will? They were treated like property. I mean, this is where, this is the potential of humanity. Um, it is shocking, I think, particularly so because we are living in this high-tech age to see this kind of medieval barbarism overlap with high technology where we're like live streamed the genocide. And then, like we were saying, I mean, just the open admission from Israeli civilians and the polling that shows that, you know, not even 2% disagree with the onslaught, um, the severity of it, rather. I mean, that's 2%. That, that's extremely low. That's It's less than 2%, actually. And then you look at Israeli cabinet ministers and politicians. You have council members saying, let's turn Gaza into Auschwitz. Um, TikTok, people, soldiers on TikTok celebrating the massacre, rifling, looting through poor Palestinians' homes. It's sick, depraved, disturbing on so many levels. I guess my question to you is like, it looks like a society that has decayed to such an extreme level, but how? How does something like this happen? I mean, is it just the the nature of settler colonialism? Is it just the you know indoctrination from cradle to grave? Like, it's hard to wrap your mind around. Um, from a sociological standpoint, I think it's been argued cogently by many that the state, the identity of Jewish people has been entrenched in trauma, whether that trauma is legitimately felt through, you know, generational suffering by people that had family in the Holocaust or whatnot, or the ongoing need for the propaganda put forward by, you know, institutions like the state of Israel, where they're using this for their own advantage and their, their Zionist perspective. I think the trauma is a big part of it, though, I, and that's why I think most people in Israel, they're just refortifying their own fears when they're in the, I, mean, mm -hmm. I, I, mean, I haven't spoken with anyone recently from Israel. But I do know a couple people there at this point still. And I, I you know, either they're kind of just look backing away from it or they're, they're realizing just so entrenched in the propaganda and their fear that they don't know what else to do. They've been around it too long. Um, so that is a, a 
terrible thing. I even saw you know terrible footage of some Israeli citizens on TikTok posting mockery of Palestinians during the beginning, you know, without having water and everything. It was very horrible to see. But then there's there is a kind of genetic evolutionary psychology that I've read about to a fair degree when it comes to group identity. There's something that happens with people, and I'm I think in the bowels of our history, we needed that tribalism, at least for the survival of some portion of the human society. Evolutionary baggage, I would call it, things that really don't serve any function to us today as a tribalistic uh, gravitation, especially in a world full of nuclear weapons. But I do think that you, you pull enough strings on a person and they will have, on average, a natural proclivity to magnetize towards the group and follow along, kind of in the same way the military operates. I mean, you know, most people are more... You know, your, your average Christian boy who grows up, he doesn't want to harm anything, could be perfectly normal. And then suddenly some attack happens, like the Iraq War. Boom, he, he feels the need to do something and, and out of goodness of his heart, right? Feels the need to do something. And boom, you're entrenched in this serial killer operation. All things are blinded. You don't see them as people anymore. So I think the key word is this, uh, this, this growth of dehumanization. And all group psychology effectively dehumanizes others on some level, even if they're pretending to pander to equality and whatnot, the very recognition. And that is that is amplified by this sort of limbic system response. And there's a lot of studies in, in the short term and long term that that talk about those things. I wrote about that a lot in this whole, you know, discourse on the understanding groups and the problems they're in. From the short term, you know, if you're in a if you're like at a soccer riot, right? I mean, how many times have we seen these Brazilian soccer riots where people kill each other because the, the team lost and suddenly the two, you know, the, the giant uh, crowd fights each other because of their anger. That one soccer player in Brazil that was literally killed by a fan because he missed a goal. So that's one level of it. I'm like, yeah, it's just insanity. That's one level. Of it. But then you bring it back to, again, this sort of evolutionary psychology. There's something to be said for our need to group. It's there. We see it. In all sorts of studies, if you run a, um, I think in inner reflections, I had a little scene talking about this as well. Whether it's culturally induced or biological, the jury's kind of out. But if you show people images of people that look like themselves, right, and they, you scan their brain, you're watching their 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 amygdala particularly, and you show them the images of, you know, say you and I, or white people, and white people, white people, and you throw in an Arab person, the brain will respond with a, a sense of um, a fear, a fear response to the amygdala. Um, very widely common. So we do have, to whatever degree, not universal. Uh, in fact, as I talk about in my book, if you raise children in an environment with great diversity, so you're around all sorts of people, pigments of skin, uh, culture, languages, they don't have that response. But on average, in this sort of middle level of evolution that we're in as a society, we've just broken out of our you know tribal sectors. We still have different skin colors. You know, that's where we are. Eventually, it will all go away uh, if we don't kill ourselves first. Um, this does happen. So these things are built into us to a certain degree, but it doesn't mean our consciousness can't move past it. And that's one of the great quotes by Marshall McLuhan. Nothing is inevitable if we can think about it. If people choose to recognize things in themselves, like people that have a racial bias. So, so many people have racial biases they don't know about. It's, it's endemic. It's, it's all over the place. I talk about that in my book as well. I grew up in the South, the American South, I very you have the poor people, the poor black people in these sort of ghettos and these projects and you have the white culture and there was this kind of an overlap. And I was on the bridge of that. And I remember when I was beaten up as a kid by, by a young black kid. And I had for years, it took me to 
to go through my sense of not being afraid of black people. And that was, that was a trauma response. And I, of course, because I can think and I can grow, I don't have that kind of response anymore. It's completely irrational. But people are stuck in that, whether they're stuck in that in the temporal sense, in the, sen- in the, the population of Israel and the Jews of Israel that are just afraid of everything as they've been told over and over again, the whole world wants to kill them. So whether it is the this sort of immediate sense of trauma that we see, or this broad sense of group identity that is pushed down through culture that rewards us to feel separatist, we have a long way to go on this and in our primitive place in society. And we can only hope, I'll conclude by saying that we break out finally of this, this again, deeply primitive uh, range of perspectives and beliefs that we keep holding on to uh, because they will be our demise. It is, it is the war coupled with our inability to be able to take care of our ecosystem is the visionary sense of elitism that has come not only from groups based on on race and all the obvious ones, but also based on class. Because if you look carefully at what's happening in the destruction of the ecosystem, it is a class rejection. It is the wealthy upper-class folks that are controlling this society, and their benefit is too strong in their elitism, so they're not willing to make the proper concessions to change the social system so we can resolve climate change, so we can resolve all the other problems that are on the horizon as the perfect storm of our demise uh, uh, continues to build. You brought up a lot of salient points. I mean, I as you've been speaking, I've been thinking about how unique Israel really is as an example of this kind of groupthink. I mean, the isolation the trauma-based reality of the people who live there. I mean, generationally, like it's all based upon fleeing repression, having a safe haven for your group identity, the indoctrination. Um, it's so fascinating because when it's based on a trauma response, it actually kind of makes sense. I mean, but but at the same time, the propaganda to us is so cartoonish, right? I mean, it's like, it makes sense for Israeli society to be this fascist, actually. I'm, I'm looking at all the confluence of all these things. It really does, it really yeah. does make sense after all this time when you grow up thinking that, you, you know, this is the only way that you can survive in your group and you're surrounded by people who want to kill you. And so we have to maintain these horrific settler colonial policies. And, and I think it just goes back to that that notion that if you were to free Palestinians, I mean, they truly believe that. They truly believe that if you were to lift um, the siege and the occupation, that Palestinians would not be able to live side by side with you because they are told, it's all projection. You go into the West Bank, there's giant signs saying, you could be killed. Fair warning, like do not integrate with these people Um, going through checkpoints into, into Israeli territory from Ramallah and being told after I just saw a guard unleash a barrage of bullets around an elderly Palestinian man who couldn't read Hebrew telling me stay safe. It's super dangerous out there. So it's this crazy upside down reality. And then you bring it back to the propaganda apparatus here that is used and designed for American audiences. And, you know, you, you were in advertising, you are a media scholar as well, or media, you know, you've studied media and you've studied propaganda for so long. I think it is so unique um, because it's like, you know, the era of hypernormalization, everything is like, they're, they're throwing all of this shit at the wall and seeing what sticks because a lot of it's super sophisticated, but then a lot of it is cartoonishly bad. Um, you know, like, like finding unscathed copies of Mein Kampf and, 
in bombed out gr- little girls' rooms. Um, the plant, you know, I mean, the fact that they're saying that there's crisis actors. I don't know if you saw that one. I mean, they're literally saying, you know, Hollywood, all the propaganda that these people are faking their own atrocities. Oh, yeah. the, the military, ba- you know, the, the Hamas command centers under, under every hospital. I mean, there's so many layers to it, but it does seem... I mean, accusing the UN of being Hamas, every critic is a Nazi. Yeah, um, right, right. It's gaslight. It's like the mass murder that's going on. That's not unique to me. What's unique is what I mentioned before, like the overlap of like high technology, being able to witness, bear witness to how this all unfolds, um, as well as uh, the bizarre nature of the gaslighting. Um, like I've never seen a, a colonial power that has that is completely obvious who is the powerful player in this, but they, right. but it's all projection. It's like no, we have to do this because it's self defense. We have to do this because they want to do it to us. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's really strange, and and you, it's easy to like laugh at some of it because it is so cartoonishly bad. But at the same time, Peter, it works on millions of people. It does, yeah. Well, there's there's no better psychological precondition for colonial expansion and effectively genocide and and uh, ethnic cleansing than that. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better disposition to put out into the world, especially with the Israeli people, uh, the idea that this is even a war. I mean, Hamas doesn't have any tanks. They don't have anything that even closely resembles the kind of, uh, the kind of symmetry required to call this a war, uh, as has been the case, of course, historically. That I agree with you. You know, you see a Kid throw a rock at a tank and suddenly get shot by a sniper. The, the symbology of that should be enough uh, for people to step back. But the indoctrination is just so powerful. And you saw that with the Iraq War in the States, too. It was different, a different fear campaign, but still the same kind of dehumanization. Once the suicide bombings and everything started in Iraq, uh, that is where the general media started to gravitate towards this sort of general assumption that all the Iraqis were basically of a of a terrorist notion. In fact, you find that with just about everything. You go back to whether whether it's evil or whether it's primitiveness, it's always a combination of the two. When it comes to brown people being invaded by white people, you can go back to the Philippines to see that kind of stuff in the, in the early 20th century and right down the line. It, it's, it's The fact that it, the consistency is such uh, is just as baffling and annoying as the absurdity of the things that are being put out. Because I read all the stuff that you did, the, the claims by pundits that, oh, the, you know, we don't know who really killed all those children in Palestine. Oh, we, it could have just been Hamas. They clearly, are, I mean, the human shield argument, well, how convenient. If you're going to go out there and indiscriminately kill people, ah, obviously Hamas is holding all those people up. You haven't done anything. You were forced to do what you did. So we, the thing is, it's been so long, Abby, with this conversation. Like mm-hmm. you, we've started this conversation numerous times years ago. Uh, The fact that it hasn't changed, in fact, seems to have gotten worse. The fact that we see the ultimate example today, going back to the very opening of of this conversation, speaks to something deeper in the flaws of our capacity as a as society today to have any kind of appropriate moral outlook. And it's not just this instance, it's 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 the it seems to be almost a virus that's moving across all areas of the humanities, if you will. The rise of you know the, the, almost a, a wanting of a kind of dictatorial manner on behalf of the United States and the kind of MAGA cult that's emerged in the United States, which has carried over into all sorts of other extremes. The migrant crisis, my God, we are being the world is has the post-colonial reality has 
fostered so much abuse in so many countries that we have tons of people that have nowhere to go, suffering tremendously, moving towards more metropolitan, robust, wealthy nations. And that is going to be a whole new level um, speaking of how this stuff is expanding, of how we're going to demonize. I mean, we already see it with, you know, the conservative Republican Trump area stuff. You know, these are these are not humans. They're just people trying to take your resources and your health insurance and your jobs. Uh, again, one more step towards the dehumanization. I, I try to, you know, try to look at the, like a big picture of it all and, and, and sort of figure out where we're kind of going as all of this mess continues and as your wonderful work in the environmental crisis and you know the obvious you know atrocity of the u.s military existing at all and its perpetuation of it which i look forward to seeing your new film and what and all that uh we have we are continuing to accelerate a situation where we can only expect more of this we can only expect camps being built outside major countries to house all the brown migrants and being treated terribly. We can only expect more propaganda against them for all the things I've just listed. So in a way, as I touched upon before, Israel's kind of a microcosm, I think, of the groupism, of the elitism, of the territorialism and colonialism, and even deeper, this, this very delicate psychology that we have that we're not mature enough to break out of. And I don't see it getting better at this point, just to jump a little bit farther ahead, because the environmental crisis particularly is doing something that we've never seen before in the history of human civilization, and that is causing a form of restriction of our economic activity. It's causing a degrowth phenomenon, in effect, which our system can't handle. So the strain this is going to start pushing really on people and countries, whether it's debt, whether it's food, whether it's energy, is going to foment more anger of people that don't understand why in the same in the same precondition that I think has fostered this anti-Palestinian uh, sentiment for so long. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And I mean, the disconnect of of people who are conservative or you know anti-immigrant, the disconnect of how our policies are driving all of this migration, and and then at the same time, out of both sides of your mouth, you're saying just expel them all, go back to. Arab countries go back to Arab countries. I mean, yeah. th that's where they live. What are you talking about? I mean, like my friends who are there, they, I was just like, can I help fundraise to get you out? And they're just like, we don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> like we're Palestinian. We live here. Yeah. People just assume that they just have roots all over the Middle East, that they just have like, you know, extension of their families that live all over that they could just take in an entire family. And, and on top of that, it's very expensive. Are we going to be subsidizing the expulsion of millions of people? Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's so fascinating, Peter, when you look at this, this case study and how bad it has gotten when the UN was saying back in 2020 that Gaza was unlivable because of a lack of potable oh. water. But it is so crazy. Like when you look at the propaganda, it really is old school colonialism. And I yeah. think that's what's so hard to wrap your mind around. It's like the violent, bloody conquests that you have liberals on one hand doing land acknowledgement and recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day. And then on the other hand, it's like there's a modern marketing face on bloody, violent conquest. And it's shrouded with impunity and, and support and backing from the world cop, uh, which is the U.S. Um, right. But I think I think the rapidity and the the amount of war crimes that I've seen, because yes, I mean, it, the Iraq war is the greatest atrocity in the modern era. A million Iraqis dead. I mean, there's so many massacres and war crimes that happen. There's Abu Ghraib, there's the Haditha massacre, all of these things. But what Israel has done in just three months yeah. is something that I 
it, it's a shock to the senses because it really is unmatched by anything that I've ever witnessed or studied. The the prior colonial atrocities, the invasions, and you know all of what's happened in American history. There's been a pace to it. The the, stra- the strategists approach it a certain way, and they create um, a pacification over time through a kind of incremental process, serving not to agitate the world opinion too quickly. And that has the Israel didn't give a damn to even try. Uh, they <laughs> they have done something that is so outrageous. You know, it's it's interesting too. There's another I don't know the word for this, but I, it's something I monitor in politics. The phenomenon of well, if you do something wrong, you know, people can be critical of it. But if you do a whole bunch of things wrong, somehow it makes it kind of moot in and of itself. We see that in sort of the criminal behavior of politicians, where you know if a politician does something singular, there might be you know they might resign, but if they do a whole bunch of uh, thing. Anyway, there's lots of examples of that. Like it's Trump's like that pers- statistic: the death of one's a tragedy, the death of like whatever millions is a statistic. Precisely. It's like yeah. kind of the same exactly. idea. It's very exactly. disturbing when you lay it out that way. Yeah, and then you you look at you know we're supposed to be how how can you not be sympathetic to the fact that they're amputating children that have been maimed without any anesthesia, thousands of them. I mean, the death toll is one thing, but the inhumanity of witnessing the people are going to live with this trauma and the mutilation. Is is unbelievable, and you see one case. All it takes is one case. Just look, think about a child like, dealing with this, having to get their arm chopped off with, <laughs> with no anesthesia after being blown up and having their family killed. That snapshot should be enough to make people burst into tears. But no, if you do it to tens of thousands of people, uh, that somehow, as you said, that speaks to another bizarre uh, psychological frame of mind. That I think what it does is it, it people have been groomed into this war mindset, and that. The, you know, people, two big armies go together in this mass atrocity. Somehow, it's it's just kind of separate in your moral understanding than it is than it is in terms of the actual death toll. So that's the that's the framework. It's a war framework, which is why the war propaganda is there. Why the illusion is there that this is a war against Hamas and Israel when it's, there's no war to be found. You know, Hamas has, doesn't stand a chance. They never have. And the only way you can look at this is they set that feedback loop in motion. Hamas and any other faction of effectively partially freedom fighters. But I think when you look at the atrocities, you can't just give them a pass on that level. But then again, as I said on one of my Instagram posts, if I just witnessed my family get blown up uh, for no reason and I lost everything, it would take me quite some time to silence my anger to want to get retribution as a fundamental reaction. This is me talking, who I, I speak from a, a very sociological perspective where I try to be self-aware, but I can understand it. You can understand it. And that's what they exploit, as I said before, which is just that much more offensive. You fight back, oh, just another excuse for us to continue destroying you and your entire society. Um, I think if that one singular point can be understood, that as that as the rabbi I quoted earlier said, the, the Nakba started in 1948, and you can't look at any of this without going back to that point, particularly as the ultimate inflection point. And if anyone that says that that this is just the emergence of October seventh, and this is the reaction, and Hamas is to blame, that's another thing. I've noticed. I have tons of friends of mine that have said, "Well, it sucks that the Gazan people have to suffer for what Hamas did." That's a completely myopic way to look at this, but that is also one of those narratives that's out there. Oh, this is very unnecessary. Oh, it's to travesty. Oh, but hey. This is what Hamas did. This is what they set in motion. Well, I want to uh, get your point. I, the, I, you just brought up a really crazy point, um, which is that, like the abuser kind of framing. Like, you want this to stop? 
You want us to stop killing a hundred kids a day? Tell Hamas to release the hostages. It's like this weird, or like the Jew belong. I don't know if you saw this propaganda campaign from this crazy organization called Jew belong, where they're posting actual Mm. billboards saying, believe me, we could commit genocide if we wanted to. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? Where are these these billboards? Um, I don't know what cities they're in, but but yeah, they have like a full social media presence where they're proudly posting images of all the billboards. And it's like really, really like abusive, like, oh, you want me to stop punching you in the face? Like it's, (laughs) it's just like, so what you're holding over our heads is, is the maiming and deaths of like thousands of children. Yeah. Outrageous. Unbelievable. Makes you lose faith in humankind to a degree. Uh, but we also remember that this isn't who we are. This is a product of what we've done to ourselves with a series of overlapping sociological influences. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, if there's a solution to any of this, if I could set in motion something which is what I've attempted to do as an individual in my own activism, I say, well, at the end of the day, if we can find a way to ease things economically on this planet, to whatever degree, there will be a there will be a proportional change in human relations. I really believe that. I think, as we touched upon earlier, religion is a problem. All this group identity is a problem. All of, uh, but the competitive structure that we fomented, going back to Thorsten Veblen, um, in his inquiry into, into the nature of peace, we can't expect anything less than what we're seeing, even in the extremes, when we have an economic system that is fundamentally premised on competition, property property allocation, and a fundamental mafia mentality towards each other. That's one thing I remember going through, because I have a new film coming out, and I'm doing a lot of stuff with uh, Latin American colonialism and what happened in Chile with Salvador Allende. And when you go through all these documents, you listen to all these recordings of Nixon and Kissinger, you begin to see that the attitude they have is of a purely capitalist nature. It is of a business freedom concept, which translates into other forms of elitism, such as what the role of the elitist hierarchical class can and can't do, which basically they can do anything. And you begin to to see the kernel seed of just the business transaction, what we do in our day-to-day world, where you go and you you have to negotiate anything and any kind of business orientation. There's an angle. There's a look for weakness and exploitation. But there is this fundamental, rooted, psychological approach, the way we have to organize ourselves as individuals and then as companies, as organizations, and then as nation states. And this is what Veblen talked about, and I I would recommend that book to folks. Uh, It's called uh, On the uh, Inquiry into the Nature of Peace, because he's one of the few that wrote about it in a way I think really kind of drives it home. This is sadly what we can expect. I'm not saying it has to be this way, but this is the extremes of what our society has produced in, in its competitive tribalism. So I want to wrap with just kind of addressing two points that you went over. One is where we're at environmentally um, and the other global capitalism, because for me, it's, it, it is obvious why Israel is so necessary for U.S. hegemony. Um, like you said, Biden has declared as such that we would need to create her if, if she didn't exist in the Middle East. I mean, you see this reasserted by all members of the, of the global elite basically asserting why Israel is such a necessary appendage. But What's interesting to me about this moment is that it's almost endangering that hegemony of U.S. capitalism um, because they are acting in such a rogue manner 
that it actually is undermining America's stability in the Middle East and the rest of the world at large. I mean, America is isolating itself by allowing Israel to do this and providing that political cover for it. And it almost seems like it's it's so counterintuitive economically if you want to maintain that dominance over the market. So how do you square that? And then at the same time, environmentally, it's like, look at where we're going to climate change. What is this land even going to look like in 20 years? Well, as I commented earlier, the foreign policy, which is a colonial foreign policy, but it's, well, in the mid-1950s, the U.S. working to use all of its channels like aid, you know, it's all about influence of other nations to support U.S. interests, or the other coded term, national security. I think this has taken on a life of its own in the bowels of that kind of, um, I wouldn't say shadow government, but those people that have been around for so long in in the military industrial complex, in in the the general corporate elitism, the lobbying structure, we have to try and control everything. That is, of course, you know, obvious in the U.S. behavior. That pattern, you're right, it's gone too far, as you said earlier as well. It does serve to contradict. It does serve to create questioning when you have this kind of overt violence. And I think if, you know, I hate to say anything that would, you know, help help the U.S. maintain its terrible. <laughs> But if they if they were if smart, they had you they, as a political advisor. <laughs> well, if they were smart, they wouldn't allow this kind of atrocity to hit the public because it does uh, have a big black eye. Granted, um, there is just enough propaganda in the machine probably to diffuse it over time, and the short attention span of this culture is unbelievable. That's something the internet the internet phenomenon has fostered. We forget so quickly. I mean, look at the people. So many few people even talk about the Iraq War anymore. Look at Bush. He's praised. He's like, bring him on. Like, like compared to Trump. Oh, he's, this is such a great leader, that Bush. I wish Bush was back and not Trump. Like, it's outrageous how people are forgetting these things. And I think that that's that's part of it. That's part of it. The This, this uh, selfish distraction, the stress of society fosters this kind of internal perspective. Uh, a slight tangent to that, I think people just don't have it in them to think about these things. Uh, the general population, I mean, and, and by extension, some nation states that have their own problems. If you're a, a small country saturated in a trillion dollars of debt to the World Bank, you're going to have a hard time. And your whole geopolitical worldview is going to be based on how you maybe can serve to alleviate that debt. Maybe you don't want to, you want to rock the boat when it comes to these financial institutions, which are largely dominated by the United States. Going back to the uh, International um, Criminal and Justice mm-hmm. Court, uh, the ICJ, excuse me, uh, this is why we can expect nothing to probably happen, even though the symbology is there. And sadly, Abby, this is going to happen. It's going to go on for months more. Gaza will be likely completely and utterly annihilated. There will be enormous public health crisis. You'll have good Samaritans come along and throw this or that or some some thing where they try to re, uh, relocate X number of people and so on and so forth. But I have enough sense of realism and cynicism that it doesn't matter what the world community does, at least in terms of what we've seen them attempting to do. The UN is already exhausted. These criminal courts are have their hands tied. There's too many dual, dual, um, dual agendas going on. And uh, we are just witnessing another unfortunate example of of uh, one of the worst side effects of what our civilization has created. Perfectly but hopefully, I'm put. wrong in terms of no. That was that was it's depressing, but I think you're right. I mean, for me, it just seems like if this is allowed to happen with no repercussions, what precedent is that setting for the future? Because All of these institutions and and world bodies, I mean, all of the so-called international rules-based order, I mean, all of this was created after the atrocities that 
happened during World War II. And now you have Netanyahu using those as examples of why he can do this. Uh, well, you yeah. guys dropped the nukes, right? I mean, you guys firebombed Dresden. You guys obliterated entire cities. And I mean, it, it, and it's true. And it's like, well, yeah, nothing happened to us. So why, why shouldn't Israel do what it's doing? I mean, it, the logic is so perverse, but it almost applies because when you don't have any, when you just have sheer impunity for these states, like, yeah, of course these things are going to happen, but it does, it frightens me, Peter, of the world of we're course. entering into. Speaking to that in terms of where this, what this means, in terms of the echoes or the momentum this foments, I revert back or I return back to the, to the point about the immigration crisis, because that is, I think, where the new focus will enter with the dominant you know, rich world in the West, they're going to find new grounds. I mean, every country, you know, is out in outrageous amounts of debt, the ultimate excuse for not promoting social programs or resolving anything really in favor of a, a generally an elite class. So what happens when these millions of people know, what, what will the excuse be when these millions of people, as it is now, but it's going to get worse, it, it can only get worse as the environmental crisis continues to emerge, as you touched upon, uh, we're going to flood, we're going to dry out, we have no one has the budget to fix these things. It's a perfect storm of countries that are desperate in and of themselves. They can't take care of their own people in many cases, not because they don't have the resources, but because that's what the economic system drives, pushed by Again, as I said earlier, things we've never experienced before as a civilization, that is a true rise of, of environmental scarcity and crisis. We've had environmental crises in the past and, and resource issues in the past, but we've never had a situation where our actual industrial behavior and our o resource overuse has pushed, has strained the system so much, it is now going to be pushing people out of so many territories, and where are they going to go? They're going to go towards the beacons of civilization, and we are going to come up with excuses to not let them in, and in some cases, it won't even be workable to do so in a true sense, but that won't be the reality of why. It will be the propaganda coming from the idea of, of an enemy group, and that these are animals, these are barbarians at the gate. We'll use the Roman term, the barbarians at the gate. That is going to be the um, the new um, the new headline um, as Western society tries to cope with effectively what it's fucking created. Because uh, this you, this is you can't look at the people running out of Venezuela without looking at the sabotage of that country for decades because of the United States and corporate interests that have tried to strangle that country. You can't look at any of these Latin American countries that tried to do something a little bit different. And they say things like, "Oh, I'm going to make the point about this in my new film." They say in Chile. If you look at the headlines when Salvador Allende was overthrown by Nixon and Kissinger, they say, oh, Chile, just another failure of the socialist experiment. Perfect, right? When that's not even remotely the case. We can use the word socialism as everyone wants to. We'll say just another failure of anything that doesn't support hegemonic capitalism would be the correct sentence. And that is an easy way to ignore the fact that Chile was utterly destroyed from the inside by economic embargoes and a whole litany of things that sabotaged his economy and forced the, the, the coup that occurred by the military, funded, of course, by the CIA. So that's another smoke and mirrors thing that people should pay attention to when they look at these other nations or countries, regardless of the religious origins. Ask the, look at the colonial history, and you're going to learn a whole lot more about what Britain and the United States have done to this goddamn planet. And uh, that's a subject that needs to be to be understood in the same way the full history of Israel does. Absolutely. Yeah, it reminds me of what Nancy Pelosi told me when I asked her, you know, 
why the military emissions are not counted in these <laughs> farcical climate summits that happen every year. And her answer essentially was that self-fulfilling prophecy and feedback loop that you dissect, which is the military is the solution, Peter. And so whatever happens as a result of climate change, the military will be needed to deal with those consequences. Peter, outrageous. yeah, outrageous. it's out, yeah. it's outrageous. Yeah. Peter, you're the most brilliant person I know. I'm so honored to call you my friend. I, I truly feel like you are such an incredible visionary that if everyone just read your book, The New Human Rights Movement, if they listen to your podcast, Revolution Now, and if they watched every film that you have done, then maybe, maybe humanity would have a chance. Talk about, uh, talk about what you're working on and, um, and how people can see your work. Because you have several films that you're working on. Right. So I, first of all, I appreciate that very much. And uh, the work you're doing is truly phenomenal because we are all, you know, throwing darts at an elephant at this point. We are in the wilderness here. So I, I'm really happy for uh, your existence. So thank you. Um, in terms of general work, I've done my best. I'm actually very burnt out on a lot of this, but I do have a new film coming out, Zeitgeist 4. And tickets are going to go on sale for that in Los Angeles. So Zeitgeist Requiem is the name. Zeitgeist Requiem, uh, the name is indicative of my kind of attitude, but in a sort of um, sort of reverse psychology, because Requiem is a death march, and if we don't change anything, that's exactly what we're going to experience, and it encompanies and embodies the zeitgeist, as it were. So if anyone wants to learn more about that, or if they're in Los Angeles and want to come see it, it's a very nominally priced ticket, and it'll be released online after that, uh, they can go to zeitgeistmovie.com. I'm going to go live with those tickets here in a day or two. And uh, I hope the new film does does a good job of basically showing showing the history of what's happened in in the development of this attitude for our social system, the use of communism as a form of propaganda, the, the delusions of socialism and communism in terms of how it's really it has only been socialism, communism, Marxism have only really been a method to separate from capitalism, whether you're for something called socialism, Marxism, or communism, or whether you're going to use propaganda, as I said before, to say socialism, Marxism, and communism is the enemy of everything and freedom and democracy, which is what the capitalist West has succeeded in doing. And particularly with the fall of the USSR, where gloves have been off ever since, and the avalanche of neoliberalism where you can't do anything outside of the system. And this, this very system, for all the reasons we've talked about in part, that is going to be the end of us. So the Zeitgeist Requiem is going to describe what we can expect. And I also am going to propose a new solution, something I've never had the courage to do in the past. Obviously, I've worked with social movements for a long time. And I've just, the exhaustion of, of that is such, and the, the rise and fall, so to speak, you know, huge organization, heavily diminished by, by media and just, you know, the poor, the, the law, social movements are very difficult to maintain, especially in an organic sense. So what I'm saying now is we're going to have a parallel economy project and there'll be a lot of details about this I won't get into. So instead of trying to educate people about things, it's going to be built into a new system of economic organization that we can build from the local community. And I'm not referring to, you know, just growing your food. This is a high-tech concept. And if it can work, if I can get it structured right and get enough technicians behind it, I think it's the first and best step we can do to have an integrative non-capitalist structure that actually builds new levels of community and hopefully systemically over generational time, of course, can start to alleviate what we're up against. And I really believe that's the only the only way. As long as the precondition of this structure is maintained and all of its perversion, 
we can only expect more of this basic stuff in general. There can be moral alleviations. There can be ethnic awake, excuse me, uh, ethical awakenings where we can rise above because not everyone who participates in the system is a criminal, so to speak, but the system is inherently criminal and is inherently inhumane and it is inherently elitist and groupistic. And we have to come to terms with that finally from a sociological perspective, not an ideological one. If someone calls me a goddamn socialist one more time, I'm gonna blow my brains out, but uh, that's all people know. So long tangents on that, but thank you, Abby. I really appreciate you having me. Love you. Love you more, Peter. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people watch Inner Reflections real quick? Inner Reflections can be found at innerreflectionsmovie.com. Um, it's also, in fact, numerous links are there, including a free multilingual link through Vimeo. Uh, just type in Interreflections into Google, but interreflectionsmovie.com will bring up the main website, which is the portal. And again, if anyone wants to learn about the new Zeitgeist film, they go to zeitgeistmovie.com. Cannot fucking wait for it. Yeah, Thanks so much, Peter. A lot You're of work best. to do, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thank you.